0: Romans 5 is where we're at. We are wrapping up a series this morning um, called Justified as we've been in Romans chapters 4 and 5 and looking at this topic really that is unpacked in these chapters all about justification, being declared righteous. Uh, That's what God does for us in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe on Jesus, um, we are justified. We are declared righteous in the eyes of God. Sinners who have broken God's rules and his law, are declared right in his eyes through faith in Christ. And this morning, we're going to kind of get to the root of the issue, a really good summary passage of this kind of salvation history, if you will, in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. We are told here in this passage of what our story is, humanity's story, and what our story can be in Christ. And so we're kind of given two realities in this passage, or two kingdoms. One is a kingdom we're kind of born into, a reign that we're born under by default, and the other is one that we're birthed into by faith. And we're going to see that uh, these two that these, uh, the humanity's story, uh, our beginning is what uh, we're created in God's image, it, it, cre- it took a dark turn pretty quick. Um, it has and we've kind of had this darkness hanging over us since the very first people, right? The first man and first woman, but we're going to see this morning there's this incredible hope as we get a picture of these two kingdoms and how we can have a better story um, for our lives and for our future through Christ. and So look with me at Romans 5. What I'm going to do is, it's it's broken up the passage into three very clear paragraphs. We're just going to walk through those paragraphs one paragraph at a time. We'll wrap up with some takeaways for us from from uh, from this passage this morning. So look with me at Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come so let's pause there and talk for a little bit you see the therefore there. I've taught you to always be looking for what that, what's this linking to. And this is in the context of the hope we have as believers, the certain hope we have. That we talked about last couple of weeks here in Christ and the, uh, of, of salvation in Him and the greater context of really Romans chapters 1 through 4. In other words, how can believers be so sure that we're going to be saved in the end? How can we, how can we know that the death of one man can provide life for all men and women, Right? and and by the way, where did this sin begin with anyway? Where does all this come from? Why do we do the things we do? Why are we so ungodly and unrighteous and in need of a Savior, right? All this is kind of summed up in this passage through this historical account that we're going to unpack here. And so we see here, he says, sin entered through one man. And then he talks about death reigning from Adam to Moses. And as he's going to unpack later on in these verses, the one man he's talking about is Adam, the first man that was created. We believe and teach here a literal historical Adam, okay, uh, with the, that created real issues for us and for all of a, a humanity, all right? So the very first human being was Adam. The second was Eve, right? Adam and Eve. And we see a chain of events that, uh, that took place here. You have Adam, and then we have sin enters the picture in, in, in human terms. Uh, among humanity, sin enters between Adam and Eve, and then what comes with sin? So with Adam, we get sin, and then with sin, we get death, we see And then we see sin and death spread to all. And this is the pattern that we see, by the way. Where there is sin, there is always death, because that's what sin does. It kills. It's it's against God's purposes, against God's will, and sin brings death. And so let's kind of recount the story a little bit. Your little ones are are actually, uh, they're dealing with some activity sheets there around the Adam and Eve story. Let's recount that story real quick, because it's important to understand, really, this whole passage. And so we've talked about it several times in Genesis 1 and 2. We see the creation account. God creates, right? Simply by speaking, right? All powerful God. He says, "Let there be light," and there is light, right? He says, "Let there be water." There's water. All that. I mean, He just speaks, and it happens. But then He forms Adam and Eve, right? Breathes life into them. Forms them. We see with His hand, just showing us, uh, man, it's that imagery there, that picture of Him taking time and just the difference in Adam and Eve or humanity from the rest of creation, created in His image. Created to be stewards. And he places them in the garden, the garden of Eden, as stewards over his creation. To manage, if you will, his creation. And he tells them they can what? Eat from every tree in the garden. There's all these trees they can eat from. But there's one tree, he says, you cannot eat from it. And it's for your own good because if you eat from it, you shall surely die. And they're like, die, what's that? Right? Because death was just not a thing. They had not seen anyone die. They had not experienced death. God did not create them with the purpose of dying, created to be with God and live with God forever. And then Satan enters the picture, right, in the form of the serpent, and he tempts them, right? And he comes to Eve, and he tempts Eve, and basically kind of sells her on this idea that, hey, God is just really being a cosmic killjoy here. He don't want you. He's just jealous. He don't want you to be like him. He don't want you to know things he knows. Hey, aren't Can't you kind of do this life thing on your own, make your own choices, right? And he tips her, and she looks at it, and she goes, you know, that looks good to eat. And, you know, if it'll make me wiser, I mean, and and it kind of begins to say, you know what, maybe it'd be good to kind of be my own God and take charge. And Adam is standing there the entire time, right? And it happens. She takes the fruit, she eats, and then Adam takes the fruit, and he eats. Definitely, and, you know, and the Bible kind of points out for us, Eve was deceived. See, Adam willfully, rebelliously just shakes his fist at God and takes the fruit and he eats and then God comes looking for him. Remember the story? And who does he come looking for? He comes looking for Adam. Because because he had placed Adam as the head, right? of the family. And really, at this particular time, he represents humanity because that's all we got, right? It's Adam, right? So he's like the the first man, the first head of a household, all that sort of stuff. And he comes, he's holding him responsible because that's what God does. He holds the men responsible first and foremost in the home. And so he comes to Adam, and he comes to Eve, and he's dealing with this, and then he lets them know, like, listen, this is what's going to happen because you've sinned. And they're hiding from God. Do you remember? it? Because when they sinned, what entered the picture was, was shame, Shame had not been in the picture before. Guilt? There was no reason to feel guilty before. There's nothing to be guilty of. They weren't guilty. Now they've got guilt, and and death is in the picture. Fear is in the picture. So instead of running to God like they normally would, they're running from God. They're, They're clothing themselves because now they know they're naked, and they're clothing themselves, and they're hiding from God. They're hiding from each other. And it's just this picture that humanity has lived out all over and over and over again ever since it happened for the very first time. And when sin entered, what we find out from the curse so there in Genesis 3 is so did death. And death. God told them they would die. They didn't die physically right then, but physical death did enter the picture, and they began to die. It just took a while. It took a lot longer for them than it does for us now. And spiritual death happened immediately. You say, how do you know spiritual death happened immediately? Because they hid from God. They were afraid of him. And they felt guilty and they felt ashamed because they were guilty in the eyes of God and and God is holy and they knew they couldn't be in His presence and, and they're running from God. And what we see is and immediately God is pursuing them. And ultimately, eternal death enters the picture. Separation from God forever in hell. All that happens because that one sin entered the picture. And Paul says sin was in the world before the law, that's like the Ten Commandments and all the law that he gave through Moses. Before the law, but it was not counted. What he means there, he doesn't mean people were, were without guilt. What he means is that, uh, he says with or without law, he says that later. With or, with, or He already told us that with or without law, people are sinners and rebellious. But scholars point out here, he's saying that sin was not te- technically reckoned as sin, would be, the, would be, be a way to quote that. You know, rules are spelled out now, in other words. And, and, when, when, and when they would break them, they knew what they were breaking. They knew what the rule was. It was clearly written down, right? And so now sin has been up to another leather level like a transgression, like you know it's wrong and you do it anyway kind of thing. You've got more than just your conscience to guide you, although that's enough to be held accountable. And because sin, we see, he says, death reigned. And that word reign in the Greek is like a word for a king's rulership. Death reigned like a king over humanity is what he's telling us. Hebrews says that, that man, apart from Christ, is enslaved to the fear of death. And see, all people die. We know that. We've experienced it. Adam and Eve didn't know it at the time. We know it now. One out of one people die, right? Use, opening day for baseball the other day, to use a baseball analogy, death is batting a 1,000. Okay? And so it, it's, got, it's got a pretty good record. And he says, but even those who sinned was not like Adam. Right? Death even reigned over those. Even, even those who didn't have a law. Even those who just had their conscience to God. I'm kind of knew right from wrong because of natural law. Even death reigned over them. Even they had the consequences. in even, even they are sinners. And those who don't have the law. Right, All that. Death reigns over sinners that know all the rules and those that only have a conscience and natural law and revelation. Death just reigns and hangs over humanity. But notice, he says something hopeful here. He says, Adam was a type. Of the one who was to come. Now he's talking about Jesus, and we're going to talk. See, Adam was the was the first man, and when he sinned, all of humanity sinned. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And Jesus is a new and better Adam, not in the created sense. He's he's been before Adam, right? But he took on human flesh at a point in time and became a little baby in a room and lived this a sinless life and. When we trust him, we get his righteousness in place of our sin, right? And so kind of this picture of both being representatives and both doing things, as we'll see in a moment, that have consequences for large groups of people. So Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Look at verse 15 of chapter 5. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. So in this paragraph, Paul is contrasting Adam and his work and Jesus and his And the point is, we're all born in Adam. Our only hope is to be placed into Christ. Sin began in Adam. Righteousness and life, justification, those things come through Jesus Christ. And the free gift, that's what Jesus offers the free gift, the offer of salvation in Christ, being justified before God by grace through faith. Paul says it's not like the trespass, it's not like the sin of Adam. What Jesus is offering is better than what Adam has done. It's not like it. Adam's sin brought death. Jesus is bringing the grace of God, the free gift of salvation. He says it abounds, it brings life. And just as certain as death is for all those in Adam, just as certain is grace abounding and salvation for all those who are in Christ. And the trespass, he says... He says that one trespass brought condemnation, it brought judgment, it brought wrath, it brought death, it brought hell. But the free gift offered in Christ that followed many trespasses because sin's only, only picked up its game since that one, right? So since sin entered the world, I mean, it's just increased and increased and increased and more people, more people were born and more people sinned. There's more sins on the record, in other words, than there were way back when Adam sinned, countless And Jesus' free gift brings justification for all who believe. It, it, It abounds over all those many trespasses. And he notes, death reigned and it ruled over humanity. But much more when you receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, will you reign in life through Jesus. So there are big stark differences presented in that paragraph. Death versus life. Sin versus righteousness. In Adam, we see sin and death. In Jesus, there's righteousness and life. Spiritual life, abundant life. Now look at verse 18. Close out, last paragraph. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he sums up, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Now how can one sin lead to all people being condemned? People struggle with this because one, we don't realize how holy God is. So we can't really wrap our minds around it. And two, we don't realize how evil sin is. And we don't realize how evil sin is because we have trouble grasping how holy God is. And we have trouble grasping how holy God is because we're sinful. So it's like this vicious circle, right? And see, God's not like us. God is completely pure without sin. He is perfectly right in all of his ways and just. And it has never crossed God's mind to do something sinful or evil. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and sinless in every way. He is in no way like you or me. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His word And in light of that, think of how evil sin must be. Sin looks at the perfect sovereign king of the universe, the creator of all things, the God who who perfectly loves you and me, and says, I know better than you, God. I don't trust you, God. I don't love you, God. And I will be my own king. That's what sin says, even the smallest sin. And we still can't comprehend how evil that is because our minds are still tainted by sin in some way. In light of that, it just took one sin for condemnation to spread all because it was a sin against it. it was infinitely evil because it was against an infinitely holy, righteous God. And through Adam's disobedience, we're all made sinners. Through Christ's obedience, we can be made righteous. And because while sin is powerful is the point, Christ is more powerful. While, while sin is destructive, Christ is more powerful than sin. And notice he says, law came in... To increase the trespass. What does that mean? Well, you see, the law didn't bring salvation. We can't keep the law. We were sinners. We were broken before the law. So when the law came, what it did was show how sinful we are. Now we've got a scoreboard. Okay? We didn't have a scoreboard before. Now there's a scoreboard, and we keep scoring points for the wrong team. Right? That that gives us that picture there. Law comes in. Man, and we're just kind of like, oh, really? That's wrong? Now I really kind of want to do it. Right? And so we in some ways in our flesh, we get even, we're, we're, we're tempted and, and to, to do things that now we know are wrong and to do. And sin increases the trespass. But the good news he ends on is where sin increased, grace has abounded all the more. And what we're seeing here in this text, two men, Adam and Jesus, both did things that had repercussions for masses of people. Adam sinned, and he says that brings sin and death to all of humanity. Jesus, the Son of God, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, bearing the judgment for that sin we deserve, and rose again, defeating death, that sin, which is what sin brought into the world, and Jesus offers justification. Jesus offers righteousness. Jesus offers life to all those who will trust in him, who will receive the grace that he offers. Now, all people, everybody, is either in Adam or in Christ, right? You're born in Adam. A sinner in need of a Savior. We have to be born again to be in Christ. We have to place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're either in Adam and therefore under the reign, the rulership of sin and death, or you are in Christ where grace reigns and are reigning in life, freely given eternal life. There is no middle ground. There's no fuzzy place to live here. There's no purgatory here. This is, man, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Your reality is either, man, I'm experiencing the same thing that that, that Adam brought into the world or I've been saved, I've been rescued, I've been redeemed, and now grace reigns in my life. And so as we think about these things and we seek to apply this text to our lives and think about how it affects our story, I want you to see three clear applications here quickly, okay? Number one, I want you to see that we have a shared story. All of us do. And that is this. Our sin is deep rooted and deadly. It's deep-rooted and deadly. It's, it's rooted deep down in our souls, right? It goes way back, okay? In verse 12, he says, death spread to all men when Adam sinned because all sin." And here's what he means by that. That's a difficult phrase that theologians have had fights about for centuries. So I'm going to sum it all up in about 30 seconds. Fix all this for us. Just kidding. But but here, here, here's what he means. Adam was representative of humanity at the one scholar put it this way, humanity was in his loins, okay? He was the first man, and when Adam sinned, humanity sinned. This is the idea, the theological concept of original sin. Every human ever born has been, has been a sinner because we are born in and under sin because of Adam's sin. And Adam was our corporate representative, is a way to think about it. And we all sin in him. And the bad news is, so we're born in sin. The good news is, we can be born again in Christ. See, we're, we're born as sinners, and we're born with a nature and a bent to sin. And so we, we, we don't have to be taught to sin. We don't need a, a, a corrupt environment, although we're all born into a corrupt environment, a fallen world. We don't need a corrupt environment to teach us bad habits and to sin. Our kids don't need to be taught how to sin. My kids know how to sin. They didn't have to learn that from their daddy. Not that they don't ever learn that from their daddy, but they didn't have to learn that from the daddy. It's, it's in their very nature. Our littlest one, Brooks, 18 months old almost. He knows how to whine for what he wants. He knows how to manipulate, right, to get it. We see it, right? He knows how to, to cling to his mama and scream, right? Even if it doesn't get her full, man, it, till he gets her full attention, right? He knows how to do those things. He knows how to cry when there's really nothing wrong. I've even noticed he kind of knows how to get his brother and sister in trouble, By whining about things. He's learning things, right? If he wants something, he knows how to whine. They kind of act like they took it from him or something, right? And they learn these things very, very young because we're born with this tendency towards sin. Because we all share the same story. We're born in sin, under sin, and bent towards sin. And our first family member, the first human Adam, his sin has affected each of us. But we're sinners by choice as well, not just by nature. We've all chosen to sin. As soon as we can understand what's going on, we choose to sin. And each of us, by nature and by choice, are sinners. So we have a lot more in common than we realize. Humanity has a lot more. We live in a time, man, where people are very divided and we like to point fingers at one another and we, we do a lot more yelling past one another than we do talking to one another. We got a lot more in common than we don't than, than we realize. I'm telling you, Bible Belt senior adults and Syrian refugees have a lot in common. They're both sinners. And Muslims and Buddhists and Baptists have something in common too. They're all sinners. And lesbians and homosexuals and heterosexuals, all sinners. Moral rule followers and rebellious rule breakers, all sinners. All need the same thing and have the same core problem. Sin and spiritual death is the core problem. We all need life that's offered in Jesus. We got a lot more in, in common than we realize. It's just that what we have in common kills us. And we need a hero. And that shared story tells us our sin has deep roots. We come from a long line of sinners. My daddy was a sinner. Still is. So was his daddy. And so was his daddy. I don't know a lot about my family tree past generation or two, but I know this. It's a long line of sinners. Right? And yours looks a lot like mine does. Because we're born under the reign of death and spiritual death and the impact of sin. We share the plight. Spiritually dead people outside of the family. That's why we have man, we can look at some of our look at our families and we can see, man, just generational sin happening. We say, well, man, this person did this, and then their son did this, and then this did. And it's man, we, we, we all have some story of that because we're all born broken and in need of a savior. And many people have tried to break sinful patterns and can't. They find themselves in repeated slavery to some type of sin, right? If they feel like they whipped one, they get mastered by another. Why is that? Why is it so hard to change? Why is it so hard to turn over a new leaf and become a better person? Why is it so hard to get your temper under control? Why is pornography so addictive? Why is greed and envy so entangling? Why is gossip so, e- so easy? And, and why is being kind and generous with our words so hard sometimes? We are deeply infected to our very core. Sin has gotten into the roots of our humanity. It's like when I go out in the yard and you've got weeds there and I can mow over them with a lawnmower and they're just there, right? And they grow back. You have to get down there and get the root out, right? And so when we just try surface level change, we're just kind of knocking the tops off the weeds. We need deep inner change because we have a deep inner problem. Sin and death reign. There's a king in our life that needs to be overthrown. And so Paul presents to us a new and better king. And that's number two, the second takeaway, we have a shared hero, Jesus, Jesus is infinitely greater than Adam. In verse 14, he says he was the one who was to come. He's talking about Jesus. He says Adam was a type of the one who was to come. They both stand as those representative heads over their groups. Both did things that have consequences for the masses. From Adam, sin and death for all. From Jesus, grace, justification and life for all who will believe in him. Jesus creates a new people. We get his righteousness in place of our sin. In verses 15 through 17, he contrasts them to show how much greater Jesus is than Adam. And in verse 17, he says, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign. There's that kingly word again. It says we reign, believers reign in life through Jesus. You see, in Adam, we're under the reign of sin and death like slaves in a corrupt, oppressive kingdom. We are crushed under the reign of sin and death. But in Christ, we reign in life. Yes, he reigns over us as our our good and benevolent king, but Jesus' reign isn't oppressive. He turns people, he turns slaves of sin into people who reign in life, who have true life in him, eternal and abundant life in him, spiritual life in him. We get victory through him over sin and death. We get to share his victory through faith. So notice you see this. One man, one man. You see that over and over again in this passage. One man brought sin into the world and death. One man delivers from it. And the Bible teaches a real historical, Adam, right, that really sinned and brings us into the world. But the Bible also teaches only one man, he says, Jesus, can, can end the reign of sin and death and bring grace and justification to life. See, we, we share a common story in Adam, but we share a common hero in Jesus. The only one that we have that can save us from this plight is Jesus. He's the one man. He's the one man that can rescue us from this problem. And the, this is important. This reminds us of the worth and the supremacy of Jesus. And even in the church, we need to be reminded of that sometimes, of his unique nature and his, and his supremacy. There's no one like Jesus. And if you get that, you say, "Why, well, Pastor, I get that. I'm here, right? I'm here. I get that. There's no one like Jesus. Well, if you really get that, you need to remember this morning, this is a rare thing that you get that. And you get that by God's grace. Most of the world today is running 10,000 miles per hour, and they're not thinking a thing about this one man, Jesus. But for those of us who have believed, we're different, or we should be, because we get the infinite value and supremacy of this one man who has rescued us from sin and death. We get that he's worthy of our worship because there's only one man that can do that. He is unique, he's different than everyone else that has been born since Adam. Adam. And you will never worship Jesus like you should if you don't get what he's done and really grasp at the core what he's done. You'll never do it. I remember there used to be a show, I don't think it comes on anymore, there used to be a show called Undercover Boss, you ever see that show? Where the, a CEO of a company would go undercover at his particular business and just work like a regular job, so if it was like a loading company, he's just out there loading boxes in a truck, whatever it might be. And they don't know who he is, there's always big companies, and so and he'd be disguised and things of that nature. And you know, you get to end some of those shows, and some of these people are thinking, you know, if I had known that was the CEO, I would have managed him a little bit differently, maybe, you know? Uh, I, I would have done things a little bit differently. Maybe I would have been on my phone less and it worked more and, and things. You know, they would have reacted differently if they'd have known it was the CEO. CEO. It's kind of like if uh, a friend shows up at your house and they've got this friend with them you don't know, right? Your neighbor shows up, you know, your neighbor, you don't know this other guy. We'll just make up a name. His name's Mark, and old Mark shows your friend of Mark shows up. And he goes, yeah, hi, this is my friend Mark. We've been, he's been helping me do some some work around my house. Oh, great. Nice to meet you, whatever. And then, you know, pleasantries are exchanged and he's gone. And your neighbor stops by later. He goes, oh yeah, Mark, man. He's awesome, man. He's like a, he's a war hero. He's got all these medals. Like he saved like his entire platoon. And all right, you know, he starts telling you all these stories and you're like, I didn't even offer him water. You know, like I, I would have brought him inside. I would have hugged him or something. I don't know. You know, at least said, thank you. I would have done something. Why didn't you tell me who this person was? Right? Because what you know about people changes how you react towards them sometimes. And Jesus, being the one man, as Paul puts it, the one man who can undo what the other man did, that can undo what you've done and what I've done in sowing sin and death into our lives, he's the one man who sowed so that we can reap. He sowed so we can, he came and lived the sinless life, right, in our place and died in our place. So that we can reap justification and life and grace and all these things. And our lives as believers should shout to an unsaved world that Jesus is supreme. That Jesus is worthy. That he's the one man that's unlike every other man. That he is the God man. And our lives should be in such allegiance to him that the world notices. Now the third thing, the third takeaway here is our shared hope. So we've got a shared story, a shared hero, we have a shared hope. And that is this, that God's grace is greater than our sin. And that is good stuff. Verse 20, grace abounded all the more, he says. That that phrase there means it super abounded, right? Like a superhero coming into saving saving the mean, It just over flooded it, right? Sin stood no chance up against God's grace. The law came through Moses on Sinai, Sinai, the Ten Commandments. But sin didn't stop, right, or slow down. It increased and increased and increased. And every time someone's born, more sin comes. But he says grace superabounded, right, all the more, surpassed so that it was not to be outdone by sin. Sin reigned in death, but grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus. The short of it is this. God's grace is greater than, than our sin, than your sin, than that sin. God's grace can handle your sin. No sin is so strong. No stain of sin is so dark. No addiction is so binding. No habit is so forming. No decision is so stupid. And no pervasion is so crooked that God's grace cannot handle it. It's like when you go to the beach and you build your sandcastle right there in front of the beach and you've got a nice place for it and you built it just a little too close and you know the tide's coming. And I don't care how big you make that sandcastle, right? You can make it 6 feet tall and 12 feet wide. You see some crazy stuff out there, right? People have just a lot of time on their hands and much more patient kids than I have. And they've got these incredibly large sandcastles, but it's not going to win Right, because at some point the tide's coming and it went. It's like, it's every time, man. It's just gonna pound that thing until it's gone. Right, you can write in the sandwalk and his water washes over and it's gone. It's like those waves come in and they super abound over whatever you did. And that's the picture we see here: is that when God's grace comes into our life, it super. It just washes right over the sin. And, it, and it's the kind of grace that, that cleanses, that forgives, that justifies, that makes us right in the eyes of God. And it's the kind of grace that frees and releases and changes our hearts and minds. Right? It's, it's grace for justification, saved. It's grace for sanctification, growing in godliness. And it's grace for glorification, keeping us so that we spend eternity one day with God in heaven. God's grace abounds for all those areas. And God's grace saves you and God's grace keeps you and God's grace forms you. As Julie Johnston, a minister's daughter, wrote, "1911, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount, outpour, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled." And you know, many of you do the chorus: "Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin." Believers have been singing about God's grace for a long time, right? I could quote amazing grace or we could quote new songs that have been written about God's grace. We just keep writing new songs about God's grace and singing old songs about God's grace. Why is that? Because we have found Paul's words to be true. We keep singing about it because time and again a sinner turns to Christ and finds that, yes, there was enough grace for him or her too. God's grace abounds and it abounds to save you. It abounds to cleanse you. It abounds to keep you. The same grace that brings you into the family of God forms you to be more like Jesus. That's why if you're more like Jesus today than you were 10 years ago in your character and your habits and the way you treat others, if there's more fruit of the Spirit present in your life today than it was five years ago, that's grace. That's grace. You see, I feel like I've grown some spiritually over the last five years. Yeah, that's called grace. It's the same grace that brought you into the family progresses you in maturity in the family. The same grace that causes you to be born again causes you to grow up. causes you to grow up in the faith. It abounds. It abounds. It abounds all the more. The reason you and I are not dead today is grace. And the reason, if you're saved today, that you're saved is grace. And the reason you haven't ruined it all, thrown it all away, is grace. And the reason you're godlier today than you used to be is grace. It's all grace. Because it's super about. Floods our life when we believe. So if you're in Christ today and no longer in Adam, then you need to, you need to take sin serious. Because we understand how destructive sin is. We get, we've heard the story. We, we've lived the story in our own way. We, we, we under, we get, so we need to understand how sin serious is. We know what it does, so we should take sin seriously. shouldn't tolerate it in our lives. shouldn't, shouldn't play around with it. Shouldn't tempt ourselves with it. And at the same time, we should be, we should be looking for ways in our life to, to give Jesus glory. To worship Him, to live for Him, to point others to Him. And then we need to be sharing God's grace with other people. Because it's not just greater than our sin. It's greater than their sin, too. They need only believe. So, if you're here today and you're what I would say, what this text would say is still in Adam. In other words, you've never received God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You need to simply receive his grace. The Bible says Jesus lived in your place, a sinless life, and then died in your place, bearing the punishment for your sin that you deserve, and then he rose from the dead. And that if you put your faith in Jesus to take your sin away and to rescue you and forgive your sin, that you can be saved. And that the moment you genuinely place your faith and trust in Christ, you are saved. God's grace floods your life. And if you're here today and you've never done that, that's the response that God would have you to make today, I believe. But if you're here today and you're a Christian, what do we do with a text like this? We take our sin more serious. We give Jesus more glory. We share Jesus with others more passionately. Because we get, we have a shared story with others. There's only one shared hero, and that's Jesus. And our, we have a shared hope, and that is God's grace is greater. Let's pray